1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
0: Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's deputy editor and podcast host, and each week I'll be catching up with fascinating characters from the food world as they share stories, advice, and expertise. I'm delighted to welcome podcast regular Gerd Loyal back today as well as being an award-winning author and olive columnist Gerd is a future foods consultant and trends expert and it's this expertise he's sharing with us today as we look at some of the hot food and drink trends for 2024. (laughs) Welcome Gerd. Hello (laughs) great to be back. Um, Now you've already written a brilliant feature which is up on olivemagazine.com now and we thought we'd just cherry pick some of the highlights. Although I would say to people, it's well worth going and reading the long There's version a lot because there. it's brilliant. There's a lot Do there. Have a There's good read there. of it. Um, I know we've got a lot to get to. Should we, so shall we just go straight into it? Um, let's start with with your first point, which was bitter gastronomy 2.0. This is something I'm really interested in because there's been a lot of chat recently about how bitter foods are really good for us. For example, they aid digestion, they help nutrient absorption, they stimulate immune function, um, loads of different things. And yet some people find bitter foods really hard to tolerate.
2: It's interesting because bitterness is something that is not a sort of, it's an an acquired taste that you have to learn to like. But once you do, I mean, it's that thing of, you know, the first time you have a Campari, it's disgusting. And then the third time you have it, it's okay. By the (laughs) fifth time, you don't want (laughs) to drink anything else apart from Campari and soda. So I love this one. So it's, I mean, we've seen since the Salt, Fat, Acid Heat book, people just getting really intrigued by all of the elements of flavor. And there was that amazing book, The Flavor Thesaurus uh, by Nikki Signer, And then Interestingly, like other books have kind of dived into other aspects of flavour, like loads of books on sweet. There was that incredible book Sour by Mark Diacono, which really yeah. dived into sort of sourness, which was something that Samin Nosrat talked a lot about. But now bitterness is having a real moment. Yeah. And I love this because bitterness is not a sort of obvious flavour that we think about, but it's something that's so fundamental in so many things that we eat. So chocolate, for example, or... Um,
0: coffee. coffee, exactly. Which I know so a lot bitter. of people hate because yes. they, just, they they get the I think it must be a res, some receptors are a lot more heightened in people who yeah. don't like yeah. the bitter flavour. Yeah. So when I taste coffee I taste all of the different flavours. Right. They just get the yeah. bitter note.
2: Well I think I mean I'm no sort of anthropologist but I think that the sort of aversion to bitterness mm. is because poison berries poison, yeah. back in the day were the bitter thing that you were yeah. made to look out for bitter things. So we're sort of automatically in tune with kind of wanting to reject things that are bitter. But there is this world of bitter gastronomy, which is incredible. And so many cuisines of the world are sort of, bitterness is fundamental to yeah. that. I mean, Indian cuisine as well, which is, you know, what I grew up eating. There is so many incredible sort of bitter things. So I mean, some things that are sort of driving this trend. There is a brilliant book by Alexina Antola called Bitter. Um, she was a contestant mm-hmm. on MasterChef, and she's really sort of exploded the world of kind of exploring bitter cuisine. And when we say bitterness, actually, it doesn't have to be completely extremely bitter. It can be yeah. as different, as, as simple as... If you're making, I don't know, a sort of a lemon drizzle cake, yeah. maybe add some grapefruit and maybe add a bit of grapefruit zest to add that sort of touch of bitterness. It doesn't have to be like going the full extreme. And I, what I love is that the recipes she has in the book, she has things like lamb chops with pickled walnut ketchup, mm. chicory gratin, and then things like uh, licorice meso glazed aubergine. So what she's doing is using those sort of bitter elements, things like licorice, things like the pickled walnut, the chicory, But actually what she does is she incorporates that into things that are also sweet and sour and salty. But it's about sort of having the bitterness dialed up. And it gives you this whole different dimension when you're kind of cooking. And it's so delicious to explore. Um,
0: And something else we were going to talk about was bitter drinks because you mentioned Campari, didn't you? I've seen those coming up again and again and again. It's it's a very grown up way of drink. As in... Not going for those sugary sweet cocktails, but bringing in all of the bitter notes.
2: And they're sort of slow sipping drinks. I mean, one that I love and I'm obsessed with is called Picon. Picon is a French liqueur. It's it's basically a bitter orange Campari. Yeah. And it's absolutely delicious. There's a drink, which is the Picon beer, which is basically a blonde beer. I love this. Pecan. This is my. I feel it's, like this is my drink. It's a very you drink. <laughs> drink. It's so. I mean, like, I, I, I've sort of said in the trend report that you know yeah. last year the Negroni Spagliato was the drink. I think the Pecan Beer is going to have a real moment because it's a it's a spirit that's popping up in a lot of different yeah. things. And actually, this combination of very bitter pecan, which is it's sort of a treacly dark kind of liqueur, it's great in a Negroni. Actually, a Pecan yeah. Negroni is sort of a very orangey Negroni. Um, but the Pecan Beer is really delicious. Wow. But actually. A very simple and well-loved bitter drink is vermouth, and actually, I'm a lot of people are really rediscovering vermouth. There's yeah. um, an amazing brand called Vermanos London who are going to be relaunching their vermouth this year, and they're really delicious. I've tried them, and one drink that I've become obsessed with is called gin and it. Have you ever had a gin and it?
0: I, I've heard of gin and it. It's but is so it, is it, is retro. It's just gin and bitters. It's
2: it's basically. Red vermouth, yeah. a splash of gin, yeah. and bitters. Wow. And it's the most... It, gin it, it and actually, it actually stands for Italian. So oh. it's a gin in Italian, and it's a drink that I've become completely obsessed with. Actually, thanks to Ed Kimber, who we had on the Cod Pog before, who was talking about the fact that when he is at <laughs> home, having his imperatives before dinner, he yeah. has a, a vermouth. And Lovely so I vermouth. got really yeah. into into it, so you know, and that and that's not going down the full extreme. What bitterness also does is it opens up the palate, yeah. And that's why a lot of the aperitifs that you get, uh, particularly in Italy, um, you know, things like China, which is made with bitter artichokes, Fennet Branco, which is extremely bitter.
0: That's it. Isn't that like a massive hangover cure? That people I think use? it might be.
2: I mean, it definitely has. It definitely wakes you up <laughs> in the palate. Uh, I'm not sure what else it does. It's kind of
0: herbal as well, yeah. isn't it? One of those sort of dodgy. Yeah. Back of the coverage. Really <laughs> I'm but,
2: really selling it. it. But you know, so I mean bitter drinks having a, a sort of an incredible yeah. moment. But you know, bitter fruit and veg as well. There's an incredible guy called the fruit nerd, uh Tantrong, he's in Australia.
0: Okay. He
2: really champions interesting fruit and veg from around the world. His Instagram's really worth checking out. Mm. And he was always talking about bitter melons in particular. Um, have you ever cooked with or eaten bitter melon? I've
0: never. I, I've heard of it, but yeah. I've never cooked oh, with so it. It's So
2: delicious! Yeah. In it's a big staple of sort of Southeast Asian cuisines, Vietnamese cuisine in particular. Yeah. Um, but he's got incredible things like bitter melon omelette, pork stuffed bitter melon soup. They can be a bit intimidating because they're sort of knobbly and gnarly. They look a little bit strange, yeah. But they are so delicious to eat. There's a very famous Indian dish called grille, which is basically bitter melon, uh, bitter gourd, basically just cooked down with lots of spices until they're just tender. And it's one of those things that if you're Indian or South Asian, you're probably made to eat it. And your parents knowing that up until about nine, you're not going to like it, but you're still made to eat it every time.
0: And you eventually And you eventually sort of both love it. it. So,
2: you know, it's a really sort of interesting one. If you don't want to go down the full kind of extreme side of, you know, having things like bitter melon or sort of um, fernet branca... (laughs) Just exploring things like making really bitter marmalade. Yeah. Uh, Bitter marmalade is actually having a real moment. Um, I've seen a lot of people, because sort of January, February is sort of very big citrus season. And what I've seen is people who would traditionally make lots of sort of, you know, very sweet marmalades going down the route, going, actually, I'm going to mix it up and make a really Mm. bitter marmalade. And there's this interesting thing that's happening in Japan, which is there's a trend for bitter granola. Okay. Which is really interesting. So there's this brand called um, Nishoku's. It has incredible packaging. And basically, it's it's called Bitter Granola. And what it uses is 100% cacao chocolate. So you get this sort of extremely bitter um, cacao. It also has very bitter cranberries in it as well. Mm. But in granola, which I just think is a really interesting way of exploring bitterness. Because
0: I'm not a big fan of... People sticking chocolate and grit because I think it's <laughs> breakfast.
2: Come on, <laughs> it is But 100% but, cacao is but different. But actually,
0: 100% cacao yeah. is almost like a health food, isn't it? Because it has got like lots and lots yeah. of health benefits. Okay, I love the sound of that. Okay, so the next one um, got me really excited as I love the idea of gardening. Yes. But not so much the reality. (laughs) (laughs) This is all about zero-dig agriculture, zero-dig gardening. Tell us about
2: that. This is such an interesting one. And if people know me, you will know that I've had in my life probably five houseplants in my flat, and they have all died within a week of me having them. (laughs) So I am the opposite of green-fingered. But I... (laughs) For me, it's... Firstly, I live in London and don't have a garden, but we Mm. do have a huge garden um, in Leicester at home. And for me, the sort of effort of digging up the ground, digging up the soil has always just been way too much. I've I've just been completely (laughs) disinterested. This is really interesting, the idea of zero-dig or no-dig gardening. It's a really interesting topic because even people like the Royal Horticultural Society and the Soil Association are sort of getting behind this. So there is a bit of science behind it. The idea sort of comes from trying to preserve the sort of natural environment of the soil and not disrupting it too much. There's also a bit of an environmental angle to this because actually one of the things that happens when you do dig up the soil a lot to plant things is that all this sort of ploughing releases a lot of carbon dioxide into the air. Um, So the idea is that you're sort of cultivating the soil by not digging. And instead what you do is... You put lots of topsoil on top of the earth mm. and you let it sort of naturally, sort of organically f- ferment. Thrive and Thrive, I guess. exactly. Yeah, not, and sort of like,
0: I can get it. You're not bothering it. Because no. you, you'll have you have layers and layers yes. of different nutrients yeah. and plants and bugs and different creatures in exactly there. so it kind of makes sense just to like leave it alone so exactly become what it is but
2: apparently what then happens mm-hmm. is because you allow sort of all the bacteria and all the fungi you're not mm. disturbing them they sort of come into a state of natural rebalance with each other and in theory it produces a bigger yield okay. and also that is more nutritionally dense so there's lots of really interesting sort of science behind it and a lot of interesting kind of initiatives. So I'll I'll read a little bit about what the Royal Horticultural Society said. So they said, unlike soil cultivation methods, such as digging, forking, and rotivation, the no-dig method avoids breaking up, lifting, or turning the soil. Vegetable and flower beds are simply prepared by covering the ground with organic matter. Plants are grown directly into this layer. And then there's this project called the Zero Dig Project, which kind of elaborates a little bit further. And they say that... The mix of bacteria, fungi, and amoeba are in a state of constant rebalancing with their own relationship. So, the rewards are that you have nutrient rich food, mm. which is a significantly higher yield.
0: So, they're getting rid of the bad stuff themselves. Exactly. It's kind of like just re I, I love that idea. It's
2: such an interesting idea. Yeah. And what I love is that there are some really lovely initiatives that are getting behind this. So, I've already talked about the Zero Dig project, which yeah. is part of something called Oak Brook Community Farm, which is based out in Gloucester. And then also in that kind of area, you've got something called the Jolly Nice Farm Shop in Stroud. And they are really actively supporting zero dig farmers. And what they've got is this amazing kind of veg display. And then they have a whole selection of things, which are specifically the zero dig produce. I love that. I think it's so interesting. I'd be really interested to kind of do a taste test of like normal dig (laughs) dig potatoes versus zero (laughs) dig potatoes. Another person that's really going behind this is someone called Charles Dowding, who is a sort of brilliant kind of horticulturalist. Mm. He's even created something called No Dig Day, okay, uh, which was actually last November. And I think he'll do it again, um, which is basically a day that's just sort of celebrating this approach to gardening, horticulture and, you know, the, the sort of production of uh, of produce. Um but in a really kind of celebratory way that's getting yeah. everyone... It's, it's so sort of... It's something that anyone can get behind. And actually, what I wanted to sort of touch on just yeah. with this is that I think kind of farming and vegetables and... I mean vegetables are not going right. they're having no. such a moment so, yeah
0: there the, th- the plant power the plant thing, power the thing. exactly yep.
2: there are three books that are coming out this year that are sort of in this area of yeah. kind of uh, sort of vegetables and growing which I just wanted to highlight because they are going to be incredible um, one is Seasoning by Angela Clutton um, which is really talking about kind of the vegetables throughout the year
0: that's in all of this month it is in all
2: way. of this month <laughs> um, there's Love Vegetables by Anna Shepherd, which is coming out later this year yeah. and then there's Vegetables by Mark Diacono who we talked about earlier and I think it's really interesting just this sort of, the way the plant based conversation is kind of evolving and now you're getting all these books that are just so joyfully Celebration
0: of, celebrating yeah, produce. It's completely different and I I agree with you because I, every year, will have conversations with um, book publishers and I always see a trend and this year I just said, everyone is doing. It's not a vegetarian no. book. It's a book vegetables. about how vegetables yes. are brilliant yeah, and yeah. I noticed... Um, I know she's always done vegetable based stuff but just reading Anna Jones's yeah. latest book yeah. as well on in preview um but all of the focus is on making the most Absolutely. of it's not like substituting yeah. meat or substituting fish yeah. it's actually taking whatever vegetable it is and then really heroing that veg and but I the
2: tone that. has shifted so I yeah. think for a long time there was sort of a sort of guilt tripping like apologetic and apologetic but also there was a sort of oh this is how you can replace me or this is how you can mimic me but now it's the opposite it's like saying no like vegetables are absolutely more than the star and have such a wealth of flavors to kind yeah. of explore. So, you know, even the titles of the books, like Anna Shepard's, love vegetables. It's just yeah, yeah. so <laughs> joyful. It's not yeah. kind of like, oh, here's how to kind of cut down on your meat eating. It's the absolute opposite. Mm, I love I that. Yeah. And I think this whole sort of idea of zero dig agriculture and the celebration of vegetables kind of coming together is really exciting.
0: Yeah, I love it.
1: This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers long day, late night. Feeling a little bored? Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers.
0: I love the next one, Gerd, and it's something you very much embraced with your book, Mother Tongue, which is... Joyful Diasporic Creativity and Third Culture Remixes. I'm really interested in this because I feel like it's it's a thing where now um, authors are unashamedly not just celebrating their heritage, but also like where they grew up yes. and then kind of mixing that all Absolutely. up in a new way of, yeah. of, of talking yeah. about their food.
2: Well, it's an interesting one because when you are a sort of diasporic person, yeah. like including myself, you're not attached to just the culture no. of your parents, you're attached yeah. to the culture that you were born into yeah. as well. And that is what's incredible about all of these cuisines. And you're sort of equally attached to both. And it's this thing that you sort of go on a pendulum, right? I have sort of periods <laughs> when I'm obsessed with <laughs> India, and then I'm obsessed with the kind of British culture. So it's yeah. this. I love this kind of amalgamation of all these things. And mm. people are taking the cuisines of their heritage and exploding them onto kind of a global stage. I think it's so exciting. And it's so joyful. and it's it's exposing people to just whole different landscapes of and, and kind of terroirs of places, but then remixed into dishes that you know and love in in the kind of u k. or in America or wherever it might be. Um some that i'm I've been really excited about. there mm. was um Bihari, which is a book that's just come out by Dina Maki. And it's basically celebrating the cuisine of Amman, mm. which is such an interesting part of the world. Um, Bihari means sea. I didn't know much about Oman until this no. book. And um, I, it's one of those places I really, really want to go to now.
0: <laughs> it yeah.
2: sounds so intriguing. And the food is this sort of amalgamation of all sorts of cuisines. So there's Pakistani, Iranian, Indian, Swahili, and Portuguese cuisines all kind of combined yeah. into this incredible, sort of flavorful, it's sort of slightly Middle Eastern y, but it's got kind of an Indian spice vibe. It's quite European in many ways. The dishes just look incredible and they're things and flavours that I'd never thought to put together. Um, Dina was actually winner of the Jane Grigson Award and it's such a beautiful, exciting book.
0: Yeah, we we featured it in Olive in February and uh, exactly the same as you. I started reading it and thought, I feel like I know nothing about this region and yet the flavours there and some of the dishes... It, it reminds me of other things. Absolutely. But as you said, the sort of collaboration, the sort of amalgamation of all yeah. the different cuisines. Yeah. yeah fantastic.
2: Um, another one that I want to talk about, actually, which is going to be coming out later this year, and I had a little oh, yeah. preview recently, is actually Doma, which is a new cookbook by someone called Spazia Dinkovsky. Yeah. Uh, she's also known as Mystic Borek. Yeah,
0: yeah, she's great.
2: Um, she is going to be championing Macedonian food and the food of the Balkans, which I just think, again, it's so interesting to have this... Sort of London insight into Macedonian cuisine mm. through her incredible Borek and all the amazing, colourful, <laughs> delicious things that she does. Um, I'm really excited for that book and equally very excited for Marie Mitchell's book. Um, she's written a book called Kin, which is um, a real sort of deep dive into Caribbean recipes for the modern kitchen. I had a bit of a preview of that because she did a supper club the other day and she has some of the most extraordinary flavours. And she she had this sort of amazing lamb curry that just had... You know when you eat something and you think this has not only been sort of slow-cooked, but everything in there is so thoughtful in yeah. terms of its quantity, where it's put in, in the dish, how it's put in, and the end result was like this masterful Caribbean curry like I've never had.
0: I'm jealous because I was meant to go to that. That it was incredible. I I was on holiday, so I I wasn't suffering, but um, but you're making me completely jealous now Um, that I didn't make it. (laughs) So delicious. And
2: she had bus up shut shut rotis, which are just where you sort of have kind of a layered roti that you kind of
0: smashed together smashed together and it's just
2: oh it was so so delicious fantastic Um, a few other ones I mean we talked last year about Tina Begum's book uh, Made in Bangladesh which is just incredible which is shining a light on that but in terms of the remixes you've got people like Georgina Hayden who's going to be celebrating her Greek Cypriot heritage with her new book which is called Greek Ish and it's that Ish I love the fact that whereas in the past there was all this conversation about well it's not really authentic well now it's saying well exactly it's called Greek Ish the point is that it's remixing on her own Greek heritage, but also bringing in her London heritage. I mean, you know, she was raised in North London, and that's as much a part of kind of her heritage. Um, a few others that I just want to highlight. I mean, there's The Sweet Polish Kitchen by Ren Behan, which is a beautiful book that's spotlighting kind of the sort of sweet treats of Poland amazing recipes like blueberry buns, um, plums and chocolate, which I'm desperate to do. And then she has a raspberry <laughs> lemon cloud. Cake. You know when you open a cookbook and then you sort of gasp at mm.
0: a recipe?
2: <laughs> the raspberry lemon cloud cake did that um, for me.
0: Let's finish on a couple of healthish focused ones. Um, ingredients that have been bubbling under like bioactive plants, ferments, ancient grains, sea moss, which we talked about on a previous podcast. They're finally breaking into the mainstream. Yes. Tell, tell us a bit about these because what, what what do you think it is in the the air that's making people kind yeah. of embrace something that previously you would have yeah. thought that's a bit wacky?
2: <laughs> I think it's really interesting, and for me, what I think this health, sort of health revolution we've had over the last five or six years has really opened people's minds mm. as to kind of the power of all of these sort of I guess what's, what we're traditionally seen as sort of ancient remedies or sort of new wave foods yeah. or you know things that are a little bit left field, but actually people are really embracing them into their diet. And, you know, things like kombucha, kefir and kimchi were sort of the ones that I think sort of broke the mould. And what I think is exciting is that we've now got so much more language to talk about things that we didn't used to have language to talk about. So... Five years ago, having a conversation about gut health, I mean, you just wouldn't have done it. You just
0: wouldn't do it, would you? People
2: were firstly too squeamish, (laughs) but we didn't have the language to talk about it. And now everyone is obsessed with their microbiome. Everyone is is doing these kind of, you know, everyone is obsessed with things like the ZOE Project or, you know, or understanding what's right for their body, what's not, what works for them, what doesn't. People are sort of, there's this move towards, I suppose, the sort of the optimised self, which Mm. I slightly hate as a kind of term, because I think it implies we're all trying to turn into robots, but it's actually sort of the opposite. It's people realising the power of natural ingredients for their own bodies.
0: Yeah, and and having the autonomy to do something about it. As if you've got control over this. absolutely. Nobody's saying take drugs. Yeah, yeah. They're saying... These things have been shown to optimize your gut health and you can do it by eating live yogurt. Completely, completely, completely.
2: So I think that's sort of one of the things that sort of driven it. But then I think what started with gut health has Mm. then got people going, well, what can I do to give me more energy or what can I do to make me concentrate more or what can I do to sort of, um, you know, improve my memory, whatever it might be. I, I, I kind of love this shift because it sort of normalized things And actually kind of made us a bit thirsty for, well, what's next? (laughs) Um, So, I mean, with that in mind, a few of the things that are sort of really coming up this year. So, um, adaptogens, which are sort of ingredients that help the body to manage stress. Um, Ones that people are really talking a lot about are schisandra berries, uh, which is a really interesting sort of uh, ingredient that's kind of coming up. And then you've got kind of immune system boosting things like elderberries and then... Cognition improving things like ashwagandha, which we talked about. Um, One of the latest ones which Holland and Barrett are very excited about is hacksap berries, which is also known as blue honeysuckle. Um, I've never tried them, but I've seen them. They look like very delicious, plump blueberries. Um, But they apparently have more antioxidants than blueberries and are sources of vitamin A, fibre and potassium. Wow. Another one which I know that you talked about on your amazing podcast with April Preston was Zynomite. Yeah,
0: Zynomite. Which
2: is a mango leaf <laughs> extract, uh, which is basically a sort of natural, perform-enhancing alternative to caffeine. Yeah, And then there are all sorts of sort of nootropics. So nootropics are things that improve your cognition, memory or learning. There was a lot of talk about mushrooms like lion's mane, ratio, Yeah, mushrooms cordyceps. had a big... They had a really big moment. But there are other interesting mushrooms and things like turkey tail, tremolin, chaga mushrooms. But what's interesting is that they're being incorporated into everything from teas to breakfast bars, chocolates, and supplements. Mm. So there are lots of very accessible ways of now eating these things. Seaweed moss gel, we talked a bit about. Um, So this is seen to aid digestive health. Yeah. Um, And I mean, one place to always look at is the super trendy supermarket in LA called Erawan.
0: Erawan. Oh, we need to do a whole episode on (laughs)
2: Erawan. Erawan,
0: because I see it on like. (laughs) I don't know um, on Instagram and people like I guess yes. Gwyneth Paltrow yeah, or whatever yeah. or people always banging on about like yeah. what, is it just a place where you like you go in there and you leave two hundred quid lighter? I say five hundred.
2: <laughs> I say five hundred quid. But it is like this wonderland. There's a few of them. I think. I think the whole thing about it is, is it's like kind. Of, it's a bit of an experience because right. the sort of. Their kind of flagship is in Abbot Kinney, which is the trendiest part of L.A. Right. So automatically, you've got the trendiest people in L.A. walking around. And it's this kind of big concrete building. And you walk in, and it is like a sort of paradise. And there's sort of coloured signs everywhere with all these words that you've never heard of that are promising you eternal youth. (laughs) And as much as every time I've been into (laughs) an one, I've wanted to kind of be really cynical and be like, no, this is never going to work. You, just get, you just get sucked in, and really? everything is amazing. <laughs> I mean, you know, everything is just extraordinary and interesting and different. Um, and I mean, there's a reason it's often memed about because it is. There is definitely a ridiculous side to it, yeah. but it is quite pioneering. I have to say, it really. Do you is. think
0: it would happen here? I mean, okay.
2: I think that. Oh, I don't know. Quite, I don't think we're quite ready for it. No. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe on Westbourne Grove. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the goop store closed because we weren't quite ready. (laughs) Well, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But, you know, what's interesting is that a lot of what happens at Era One then does sort of filter filter down. down, So, you know, CMOS gel is just one of those. You know, you can now get sort of CMOS gel shakes and people are selling it. It's, you know, it's really interesting. Yeah,
0: Yeah,
2: cool. A couple of others just on this. So there's. We talked quite a bit about grains and pulses, and mm. there's a real d- rediscovery of some ancient grains and pulses, which are really high in things like you know fiber and uh, and vitamins. So ema is one that I love, and that I'm I'm actually going to be putting into the magazine Brilliant. soon, which is delicious. And so
0: what is what what kind of grain is ema? That?
2: Is basically a type of farro, and oh, it's nice. really really delicious. Yeah. So you have. All different kinds of grades of farro. And I think yeah. it's medium farro is Ema. Okay. It's really delicious. It's really great kind of in risottos. And, yeah. yeah, it's sort of really nutty and really kind of earthy. Mm. Um, and another one that I haven't cooked with yet is flamingo peas. Ooh. So Hodmidods have those. And they're bright pink and they look incredible. And other ones that I love. So Ay- Ayurvedic herbs, things like Tulsi Holy Basil and Himalayan Shalajit resin Jesus. is having a real moment. <laughs> um, but then, I mean, for people that have really yeah. got into kombucha and kefir... The thing to try now is tapache, which I know we've talked about before, which is the sort of fermented pineapple drink. pineapple, isn't it? Yeah. But now there's also sauerkraut and kimchi juice.
0: (laughs) Ooh, okay. So, you know, it's a long... Yeah, I I like vinegary things, so I could probably get on with that.
2: Uh, There's an interesting company called the Crafty Pickle Company that primarily make pickles, but they also now have turned sort of the sauerkraut and kimchi juice into products themselves. Uh,
0: Okay, because that's what I was thinking about the other day is... I know, I know. There's a few of them out there, but I love things like, you know, pickled cabbage and pickled cucumbers that you put on burgers. Yeah. But often they're in vinegar, which kind yes. of kills the, I guess, kills the live. Ferment. Yes. So, so maybe we'll see more of that move, and we seem to be seeing more of that move towards you get your pickles but they're kind of yeah. live fermented pickle. yeah, absolutely. They're, they're lacto-fermented exactly, pickles they're lacto fermented pickles rather that. than yes. vinegar pickles yes. yes so that would be great
2: but then don't waste that vinegar cuz it's great in martinis <laughs> yeah
0: or pickled butts <laughs> <I'll say>
2: exactly <laughs> okay
0: and lastly another hot topic hormonal health yes. and how we can bolster that with food and lifestyle habits
2: yeah absolutely so, i mean this is what i love about this one is that as with gut health you know 5 years ago we just didn't have the language and no. now People like Davina McCall, for example, who are sort of really championing all the conversation around hormonal health, around menopause, perimenopause, which is a phrase I didn't even know (laughs) until like five years ago. And um, So, you know, you've got people like Davina McCall, but then also people like Tim Spector, who are really advocating for the fact that during menopause, diet is one of the most important decisions that you can make. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting because I suppose what this is all about is about Sort of tra- when you transition into menopause, the levels of the hormone estrogen begin to decline, and mm. that sort of is what disrupts your sort of cyclical patterns. But it can negatively affect all sorts of things. So things like metabolism, uh, it can affect your cholesterol levels, it can affect your uh, digestion of carbohydrates. That's why I suppose people that are going through menopause talk about having things like hot flashes and sleep problems. But I didn't know this. Actually, going through the menopause can also lead to decreased bone density. So there are all these sorts of things that diet can really help help, to kind of counter. And there was a really pioneering book that came out um, late last year, which is called Recipes for a Better Menopause. And it's from a nutrition expert, Dr. Federica Amati, and then an incredible award-winning chef called Jane Baxter, yeah, she's great. Um, Who is has a place called Wild Shakes down in uh, Devon. And the, the recipes are this there to sort of harness the power of food to optimize your health during menopause. So, I mean, the first thing I love about it is the fact that they're not shying away from the word. The fact that the, the book no. is called Recipes for a Better Menopause. I love that. It's so empowering. It's making the language of kind of talking about the menopause just completely normal, yeah. which... As with gut health, five years ago, we just didn't talk about yeah,
0: it. Yeah, I've, I've seen it happening. You know, we just in the media, like, talking about menopause is no longer a taboo exactly. subject. You know, thank God. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> I mean, why should it be? Exactly.
2: So um, and the other thing, though, about this is that the recipes just mm. look and sound absolutely delicious. So there's things like spiced chicken with red peppers and almond sauce. Um, there's a squash greens and nuts out of the ginger. There's chocolate peanut butter and banana brownies. They sound which great. Just look incredible. They're, you know, they're packed with all the right nutrients, proteins, essential vitamins. Other things that are really important to eat at this time uh, during the menopause and perimenopause are things like foods that are rich in Mm. omega-3. So oily fish, almonds, uh, tofu, walnuts... Fruits and vegetables to reduce inflammation. This was an interesting one I, that I didn't know about, that soya foods which contain isoflavoins that mimic the effects of the reduced Yeah, I was, I was surprised
0: by that one too. It's really, yeah. really
2: interesting. Um, And then another word that I'd never heard before, which is lingons, yeah. which help to fight the effects of oestrogen. So these are in things like linseeds, pulses, sesame seeds, um, whole grains.
0: But I love this. And interestingly, like a lot of the things that you mentioned on the list, you know, oily fish, Almonds, walnuts, linseed, sesame seeds are all really good gut health. Exactly. Anyway, yeah. so it's kind of this whole three sixty of exactly. like pinging, getting that thirty. It's all the it's all pinging the that microbiome. You, exactly. Yeah. 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 And um and thanks for the tip because I have reached out as they say to uh, Dr. Federica and hopefully we'll be able to get her yeah. on the podcast at some point It's for a, a brilliant chat. book It's a really, really brilliant yeah, book I'm, I'm getting it in to yeah. have a look at it and hopefully get her back in and have a chat about it because I think it's a it's a subject that's fascinating and we could really deep dive into it but again so much stuff to delve into there good and as I said at the beginning a much more comprehensive believe it or not <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's only six out of 10 available, know, is available online um, so that's at olivemagazine.com Plus, people can find your monthly column in the mag, as you mentioned. And what what else have you got going on? Going on.
2: I'm working on on a sort of little project behind the scenes, which I don't know if I'm not talking about yet, but I will do soon. Okay, great. Um, But I've got lots of interesting stuff. I'm doing quite a bit of travel at the moment. I just got back from Belgium, which is a very interesting coloury destination that I might talk about at some point. Um, Mm. And I'm I'm doing a few sort of... Just interesting secret projects in the back. <laughs> right, well, well, you can also have a, actually if you go onto the Olive Instagram, you can have a snoop around my kitchen if that's oh, interesting God, to yeah, you. God, yeah,
0: your kitchen was. So yeah, it, yeah, I've cleaned
2: my kitchen. That's one thing yeah. I've
0: done. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you if you want to keep an eye on um Gerd's secret projects, <laughs> you can go to his Instagram. What, what I'm it, at Gerd um, underscore, loyal. underscore loyal. Yeah, and then. Obviously, every month in Olive Magazine, brilliant recommendations for destinations, for new products, for new ingredients. So keep an eye on that too. Well, thank you so much again for coming to chat to us today, Gerd. It's been brilliant. Thanks so much. That was the Olive Podcast. For more information, go to olivemagazine.com and don't miss our Little Black Book bonus episodes where guests give us their latest eating, drinking and travel tips. Out every Wednesday.